Praise God. Please take your seats. I was telling myself since yesterday that I need to be conscious of one thing. Uh, over the last many months, we have tended to end our service at about 1.45. Today we start, we end our service at 1.15. But my brain is still ready to talk till 1.30. Okay. So I had to consciously tell myself that I need to finish earlier. So I've written it down and I've kept it there, finish early. Okay. Uh, in case I do pass 1.30, you are free to wave your hand. Or as is usually done in classes, you start looking at your watch. I will get the point that my time is done. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you, Father, for this time, this time that we can sit at your feet, Lord Father, to continue to hear from you, Lord Father. Father God, you are an awesome God. And it is to you we look in every situation and circumstance, Lord Father. Father God, we cry out unto you during the times of our distress. We come to you with our rejoicing, Lord Father. Be it in song, Lord Father, be it in prayer. And Father God, we know, Lord, that we get our wisdom from you, Lord Father. We get the directives for daily walking, Lord Father, from you and from your word. Father, we pray, Lord, that indeed we will be receptive to what you have to tell us this day, Lord Father. As we course through your scriptures, Lord Father, and as we listen to that which you have for us, Lord Father, I pray, Lord, that we will learn to apply it in our lives, Lord. That indeed we will do as you have asked us to do, Lord Father. Commit every one of us into your hands, myself included, Lord Father. And I pray, Lord, that you will be with each one of us. Thank you, Father, for what you're doing in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now, sometime in June of 2021, that's almost 11 months back, we started a study series termed Sermon on the Mount. It was through Matthew 5, Matthew 6, and Matthew 7. Uh, we also said at that point, and you could always look at it in scripture, that it is the single longest one-point discourse or one-place discourse that Jesus Christ ever made to his disciples, his followers, and to the people. Today, we continue on to its sixth part. Uh, and let's see where we stop at that point. So shall we open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 7? And I shall read to you from the New King James Version, verses 1 to 12. That will be our focus this afternoon. Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 to 12. Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eyes, and look, a plank is in your own eye? Hypocrite. First, remove the plank from your own eye, 
and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you in pieces. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? For being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Therefore, whatever you or internal attitudes. But when you come to chapter 7, especially the portion we have read this uh, just a few minutes back, you will see that it involves a conscious decision to make changes in our external behavior. Okay, so remember, Jesus Christ was sitting on that mount in, uh, by the Sea of Galilee, and he was discoursing and talking to his disciples and his followers. And there might have been a lot of other people also who were listening. The target audience were the disciples and those who followed him. And it was to them that he was giving some profound teachings. Teachings that, would, that should make a difference in their lives. Teachings that would help them change perspectives teachings that would make them reflect on their own attitudes, internal and external. Because Jesus is the greatest change master that we know. He is the greatest change maker. And he wanted to start those changes right there with his disciples. And today, if you and I call ourselves as born-again believers, if we say that we are followers of Jesus Christ, if we claim to be disciples of Jesus Christ, we need to listen to what Jesus Christ is telling us. Because his words should have meaning and impact in our life and should help us reflect on certain behavioral tendencies we may have or certain attitudes we may have and decide what are the types of changes that we need to make. So when you go to verse 1 and 2, it says, Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. 
the original Greek word used instead of judge is the word krenos. And that simply means to make a harsh, self-righteous judgment without knowing the facts. To make a harsh, self-righteous judgment without knowing the facts. Now just take a few seconds to think. The last time we made a judgment call, whether it was on people, whether it was on situations, whether it is in the war going on in Ukraine and Russia or elsewhere. Have you made a judgment? Have you said that he is right or she is right or he is wrong or she is wrong? Do you know all the facts when you made that judgment call? We're pretty quick in assessing a situation and making a judgment call. But here it tells us, judge not that you be not judged. Let me also tell you, see, that's what the Pharisees did all the time. They judged the people and that's why the people were in bondage. People were struggling with everything that the Pharisees said and Jesus had to come and release them from those impossible demands that the Pharisees were making upon them. The Pharisees judged and condemned people by their own self-righteous standards. We know what the Pharisee prayed when he prayed in Luke chapter 18, verse 11. He said, the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. You see, that's a judgment. Now, if I stand up here and I say that you adulterers, you sinners, that's a harsh statement. And that puts me in a self-righteous, but I, am I holier than thou? Am I in any way better than any of you? But that's what the Pharisees were doing. And that's what Jesus Christ was telling his followers and disciples don't be like that. Okay. He's never actually given us an instruction to never to judge. You go through scripture. Jesus Christ has not given us an instruction never to judge. John 7, verse 24. Jesus Christ himself says this. These are his words. Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. John 7, 24. Not John 7, 1. John 7, 24. Do not judge according to appearance. That's the words of Jesus. But judge 
with righteous judgment. Be right when you decide to talk about somebody else, when you decide to judge the action, the attitude of someone else. Don't be like the Pharisee. I am better than everybody else. And what he is doing or what she is doing is not right. Does the Pharisee know the facts? Judge not, that you be not judged. Okay, so what essentially that means is be careful that you do not use harsh attitudes, harsh language. Do not condemn somebody for what he or she has said or done without knowing the facts. And if you have to say something, do it in love. God has judged us in love, not with condemnation. And you and I have been given the great commandment which says, Love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like unto it. Love your neighbor as yourself. We are commanded to love. So when we are judging somebody else, it is with righteous judgment backed by love. We judge somebody else and tell that person he or she may not be in the right because we want to bring that person back to the truth, not because we want to say that you are a sinner. So we need to get our concept correct. What is the context in which this, this particular verse has been written? In verse two, Jesus explains why we should not judge wrongly. Because if we judge wrongly, it will boomerang on us it will backfire on us. And there we have examples in scripture. Let me give you two examples. Two examples of men who judged wrongly and how it backfired and boomerang, boomeranged on them. Judges chapter 1 verses 4 to 7. What we read is this. Judges chapter 1, 4 to 7. Then Judah went up and the Lord delivered the Canaanites and the Perizzites into their hand. And they killed 10,000 men at Bezek. And they found Adoni Bezek in Bezek and fought against him. And they defeated the Canaanites and the Perizzites. Then Adoni Bezek fled. And they pursued him and caught him and cut off his thumbs and his big toes. And Adoni Bezek said, 70 kings with their thumbs and their big toes cut off, used to gather scrap under my table. As I have done, so God has repaid me. Adoni Bezek cut the thumbs and the great toes of 70 kings and brought them to subjection under him. As I have done, the Lord has done unto me. Now he lost his thumb and his big toes. It boomeranged on him. It backfired. Whatever he did 
backfired on him. Example number two. In the book of Esther, we read of the gallows that Haman built to hang Mordecai. We know that story. But what happened in Esther chapter 7, verses 9 to 10, it is written thus. Now Harbona, one of the eunuchs, said to the king, Look, the gallows, 50 cubits high, which Haman built for Mordecai, who spoke good on the king's behalf, is standing at the house of Haman. Then the king said, hang him on it. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Then the king's wrath subsided. You see, Haman's plans backfired on him. He paid the price for his cruel judgment on Mordecai. His judgment on Mordecai was not based on fact. It was based on a personal agenda. But what happened? The very plan that he had to get rid of Mordecai was used against him. It's often said in secular language, don't point fingers. Because when you point one finger, there are three fingers pointing back at you. We talk about that jocularly, you know, in fun, whatever, don't point fingers at somebody because three are pointing back at you. But that is reality. That is scriptural. How you judge others, it will come back to you. And between verses 3 and 5, Jesus explains this further. Essentially, Jesus was teaching us to first make our lives right before passing judgment on others. How can you look at the speck in your brother's speck, something small, tiny, when you have a log, a plank in your own eye? You have the bigger problem. I have the bigger problem. And who am I to look at you and say, you have a tiny problem? Sort out your own life first before you want to comment on somebody else, before you want to pass judgment on somebody else. You see, none of us are perfect as men or women, and we have huge faults of our own. Why do people do what they want to do? They have their reasons. We don't know all the facts. They have their reasons. Let us not be quick to judge them. Listen to them, understand them, and then make your judgment righteously if you have to. Please, let us not judge anyone with a holier-than-thou attitude. You see, you and I have the plank. You and I have the log in our eyes. Let's first correct our own lives. Let's just sit back for a minute and think, where are those areas that I need to make correction in my life before my external attitude changes and then I, I, I comment on somebody else? You see, King David, the man after God's own heart, clearly understood this. 
In Psalm 51, verses 10 to 13, these are the words we read, and we sometimes sing it out as a song. Psalm 51, verses 10 to 13. See, these are the words that David uttered after he had sinned with Bathsheba, and he had been corrected by the prophet Nathan. He said, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me by your generous spirit. This is what he said first. And we usually stop singing at this point. But a very important verse is the next verse, where it says, then, then, I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. When I have my faults, I do not have the authority to come and tell anyone that you are at fault. Create in me a clean heart. Set me right first. Then, as the king of that land, I have to take care of my subjects. Then, let me go and tell them that they need to correct themselves. You see, he was not prepared to judge his people till he set himself right. If you go through the scripture, one of the most notorious villains is David. But yet, the only person who gets the name, the man who was after God's own heart, the man who has written umpteen words of wisdom in Psalms, the man who loved God like anything, is still the man we talk about as David. And why was that? Because he knew that when he made some, did something wrong, when he sinned, he would go back to God. He would go back to God and say, create in me a clean heart. Clean me with hyssop. He never hid it under the carpet. He said, do that to me first. Purge me. And then I will deal with others. So what's the lesson for us at this point of time? Simple, isn't it? Get your life right before doing anything else. Because almost every day we are faced with situations where we have to make judgment calls. But before we do that, get your life right. Let me get my life right. And then comes verse 6, which sounds absolutely incongruous in a place such as this. It's talking about judgment. And now we come to verse 6. And what does verse 6 say? Do not give what is holy to the dogs nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. What does dogs and pigs 
and pearls got to do with judgment. Why is that verse even there? We're talking something nice. We're talking about how to correct ourselves. And then suddenly it comes in dogs and pigs and swine and pearls. What's it got to do with that? And we need to understand one thing. This statement was made at a time about 2,000 years back. So you need to understand it in the context of the time. Many of us have dogs at home and we love them more than our, the rest of our family. I had, uh, when I was a small youngster, uh, small, small guy, we had uh, cats and dogs at home. At one time we had four dogs and nine cats uh, at home. And my grandmother would make sure every day the cats would get fish. My uncle would go, sometimes I would go, my cousin would go, we'd buy the fish and come back. When we sat at the dining table, there would be no non-vegetarian item. Because we didn't have money to buy it. But the cats would always get their fish. But here it says, dogs, What's the verse? Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine. You see, at that time, 2,000 years back, Jews considered dogs and pigs, or swine as they are often called, to be impure, violent, and worthless. 2,000 years back, Jews would never have dogs in their homes. Never. Today it's different. Of course, pigs is mentioned in Deuteronomy 14, have nothing to do with them, don't even touch them. So pigs are anathema to the, to the Jews. But at that point, dogs also were like that. And if you again remember certain verses in scripture, and I'll tell you one of them, the Jews often called Gentiles as dogs. It was, a, it was a word they would use against Gentiles, the dogs. Why? Because dogs were hostile creatures, violent, impure creatures. And the Jews considered anybody who was against God as hostile to God. Anybody who did not follow the God of the Jews was hostile. And they were impure. And so the Gentiles were called dogs. In, in verse 26 of Matthew 15, we read what Jesus Christ said to a lady, a woman of Gentile woman of Canaan, when she came to him and she cried out to him for healing for her demon-possessed daughter. What did he say? He said, it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. I used to wonder, you know, why did Jesus use such statements? But you need to understand that these are statements that could be very well understood at that point of time. 
It was the language of the day. It was not a derogatory uh, insult, except to say that the Gentiles are hostile, so you call them dogs. Okay, so it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And then in verse 27, the lady replies, because she knew what it was all about. She said, yes, Lord. Yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. So now when we come back to verse 6 of Matthew 7, what could Jesus possibly be telling his disciples then and to us now? Maybe in the light of the first five verses that we have seen, maybe you have tried giving your righteous, your appropriate judgment, opinion, advice to someone. Some may receive it. Many will not. But you have studied the facts of the matter. You have analyzed the whole situation. You have listened to them. You have tried to understand them. And you have given them some advice. Now, there's one thing that we all know. If you come... I'll use myself as an example. Okay, now, if you come to me for advice on a health-related matter, and I give you a piece of advice which you like to hear, you will take the advice. But if I give you a piece of advice which you don't like to hear, you will not take the advice. You will simply, you will say, thank you very much and have a cup of coffee at my home and go. But then you will say, he's speaking rubbish. Okay, that's what happens. There are a lot of people to whom you may have to give advice, well thought out advice, study the situation well, but they will not receive it. Some people might. So what was Jesus Christ saying here? What do you do at such a situation? He said, don't keep giving your pearls of wisdom to people who are not prepared to your godly advice and judgment. Don't throw it to the dogs or the pigs. They are simply not going to receive it. They are hostile to your advice. They are hostile to your judgment. You see, remember the dogs, the Gentiles? They were hostile to God. So now, when you have given them a piece of well-thought-out advice, which they refuse to accept, don't keep on badgering them with that advice. Don't keep on going after them and saying, I told you, you need to do this one. Please think about it. You need to do this one. You know, I'm telling you again and again, please go and do it. Okay, if that guy had a kitchen knife around him, your life is in danger. Okay. Don't keep giving your pearls of wisdom to people who are not prepared to listen to godly and righteous judgment. Don't waste your time. All they will do is trample your advice, like the pigs and the dogs. And they may even turn and abuse you, like the pigs and the dogs. And that's what that verse is all about. See, this is very similar to something that King Solomon said in Proverbs chapter 23, verse 9, where he said, Do not speak in the hearing of a fool, for he will despise the wisdom of your words. 
Okay? And we know from what King David told us in Psalm 14, verse 1, who is a fool? A fool is one who says, there is no God. So don't speak in the hearing of one who says there is no God to one who is hostile to God. For he will despise the wisdom of your words. Okay, this is what Jesus Christ was telling his disciples and followers sitting on that mount by the Sea of Galilee. Now, what do we do in such situations? Do you give up? Because this is a challenge a lot of parents are facing. Parents of teenagers. I have the authority to say that because I have three teenagers or those who were teenagers who have gone through that stage. There is a phase during which they are not going to listen to you. Your godly advice, your well-thought-out advice, your well-meaning advice for their future, for their safety, you are giving it. But they are not going to take it. What do you do in such situations? You can't give up on your children, can you? If it was somebody else, if it was your office colleague, you can say, oh, I don't care about him. If he wants to walk into hell, that's his business. You would never say that about your children. Because you are concerned about your children. You are concerned where are they going to end up for eternity. So what do you do in such situations? That's where you turn to Matthew 7, verse 7 and 8. The next verse, that's all. Verse 6 is dogs, swine, and pearls. Verse 7 is, and 8, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Now, this is an often quoted verse with the understanding that you can ask God for anything and he will answer you and give you everything. Okay, when we take that verse out of context, ask, seek, and find, ask, seek, and knock. It's a verse that is often used in relation to prayer. But look at the context in which it is spoken here. It is spoken in context of what Jesus has just been saying. You see, remember one thing, that when Jesus was speaking this uh, uh, sermon on the, uh, beside the Sea of Galilee, he did not speak in verses. He spoke a continuous language in a style that people speak to each other, just like I'm talking to you now. I'm not breaking up my sentences into one, two, three. You know, how, uh, I mean, suppose we were just to meet. My sister and brother Jignesh were to meet immediately after the service. And I say to him, one, praise the Lord. Two, how are you? Three, how is your health? Four, how are your children, your cats and your dogs and your camels? Number five, have a good day. Number six, bye-bye. Verses. 
But that's not the way the Bible was originally written. They were all letters. And those of you who remember letter writing, not on computers. Okay, computers are messed up because it's all bullet points now. But remember those beautiful handwriting that we used to write letters, sentences, paragraphs. There's no one, two, three, four, five. It's one continuous teaching. Unfortunately, this is this uh, chapter verse issue, which came up in, 19, in 1555, that's when they put in the chapters and the verses, has actually broken up. And so chapter six has now been, sorry, verse six has now been separated from verse seven. But in reality, it is one continuous talk. Ask, what are you talking about? You're talking about somebody who is hostile to God. Somebody who does not want to listen to godly advice. Ask God. Seek his face. Persevere. Keep knocking. Till either God does it or God makes a way for you to get it done in that person's life. You see, that's the context of this whole verse. Now, I'm not saying that you can pray, ask, seek, and find, and God will not do it. I'm not saying that at all. God often does it when you ask. And you can take that verse as a Rima verse, as a single verse, and apply it in your life, and God will answer you. But in the context of the Sermon on the Mount, it's in relation to the dogs, the, the, the pigs, and the pearls of wisdom that you have, okay? And Jesus Christ, after having said that, he reinforces this point by talking about our own attitude to our children in verses 9, 10, and 11. He says, if we, I'm not going to read those verses, you can read them, 9, 10, and 11, you know, stone for a bread and a serpent for a snake, for a, for a fish. Okay. If we, parents, faulty as we are, Love to give the best to our children. What about our perfect God in heaven? Is he going to, isn't he more than happy, more than willing, more than prepared to bestow upon every one of us the best that he has? And so when you ask for somebody, when you ask for something, if you ask when you have an impossible situation, God says, I know what's best for you. And I know I will give it to you. Because you, as an earthly father, you always think to give the best to your children. And you are my child. So is the man out there. So is the man who says, there is no God. Who created him? The father of all 8 billion people on this earth right now is our God in heaven. You and I just have the privilege of having that scale taken off our eyes that we can say we know our father. But there are many people out there who don't know. You go to some parts of the world, 
Children don't know who their earthly fathers are. That's why it's often said, maternity is a matter of fact. Paternity is a matter of trust. Okay? We, you, me, have the confidence to say, I know my heavenly father. Okay, but there are a lot of other children of God out there on all sides, maybe here also. And God says, I love them also. And I will do everything that I have to do to get them into the fold. And then we finally come to verse 12, often quoted as the golden rule. Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Whatever, therefore, therefore, therefore means you having obeyed the previous instructions. Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. This is not a new teaching. This was not a new teaching to the disciples listening to Jesus Christ that day or to any of the other people. You see, there was a well-known saying in uh, old Jewish teaching. It's a guy called Rabbi Hilal who first said it, uh, who, which stated, what you don't want other people to do to you, don't do to them. What you don't want other people to do to you, don't do to them. Okay, and then if you actually go through uh, uh, University of Google, you will find that this statement is there in almost every scripture, every religious text, every philosophical text. Confucius has said it. Voltaire has said it. Aristotle has said it. Plato has said it. Is there in different religious scripts? Okay, but in every one of them, it is in the negative sense. What do I mean by the negative sense? What you don't want other people to do to you, you don't do to them. Negative. Okay, Jesus took it and spun it around. He said, Whatever you want men to do to you, you do to them. He put the responsibility on you and me first. You see, it's very easy to say what I don't want Brother Jignesh to do to me, I will not do to him. And I don't want him to kill me. So I will not kill him. Easy to follow. Isn't it? Because I know he's not going to kill me. Hopefully. Okay, so it's, it's easy when, when it's a negative statement. I don't want somebody to do anything bad to me, so I will not do anything bad to them. Now, most of us are good people. We don't do anything bad. We don't go around doing bad to people. So it's not, it's not difficult to follow in most philosophical or religious script patterns. But what Jesus said was, when you want somebody, to, what you want somebody to do to you, now, what do I want people to do to me? I want you to treat me well. So what do I need to do? 
I need to treat you well. See, it's, now there's a responsibility on me. And that is what Jesus was talking about here in verse 12, which we need to apply as our golden rule. And that's why the title of today's message is Living the Golden Rule. And when Jesus Christ made that statement of the golden rule, he ended it by saying, for this is the law and the prophets. Now, what did he mean by that? And I'll be ending in just about two minutes. What did he mean by that? The disciples and the people around Jesus clearly knew what the law and the prophets were. Maybe not all of us know it. You know, we are more educated, so we know less. But the people at that time, they knew it. They knew the law. The law of God and the, law, the laws of Moses. They knew the sayings of the prophets. That's why when Jesus Christ went into the temple and he picked up the book and read from Isaiah's, Everybody knew what he was talking about. To the Jews, if they followed the laws of God given through Moses, and if they followed the prophets, the sayings of the prophets, they have actually done well. And God was telling them, if you actually want to summarize the whole of everything that Moses has said, the laws of God and the laws of Moses, and you want to summarize everything that the prophets have said, it all boils down to this single thing. Whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. Because that's what God has said. What God has said is, treat your neighbor well. Love your neighbor. Jesus Christ himself repeated this in a number of places. He said, do you think I have come to destroy the law and the prophets? I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. And what is the law and the prophets? What you want others to do to you, do the same to them. Jesus expounded a little more on this when he came to Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 to 40. He said, you shall love the Lord your God. With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So that is what... Jesus Christ was reminding his disciples 2,000 years back. He was preparing his followers for a higher doctrine. Now remember this. There are two major doctrines, the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament is summarized in this verse. The New Testament has not yet come into application because Jesus has not yet gone to Calvary, has not yet been crucified. Okay, we as privileged people have the benefit of the Old Testament doctrine, which is verse 12, 
and the New Testament doctrine, which can be summarized, repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. But Jesus was telling them, keep the law and the prophets. Make sure you do what is said in that. Because there is another doctrine that's coming that you need to follow shortly. For us, we have to follow the law and the prophets, whether we like it or not. And we have to accept the doctrine of repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no alternative. As I conclude, please try to answer these questions. What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? Am I a wise man, a wise woman, listening, obeying, and doing what Jesus Christ has asked me to do? Or am I just a foolish person masquerading as a wise person? Jesus Christ set the standard. And the standard is all there in the Sermon on the Mount. It's all about what we need to do to change our inside, what we need to do to change our outside. If we can just do that, that's what Jesus Christ wanted his disciples and his followers to do first before you go into other things. Church, God bless you all. Pastor, please take over.